0: it is so good to be here. What a joy to be back at Lake Hills with uh, uh, my friend, Mac Richard, and uh, we love him and Julie, and uh, we love the ministry here. We love what it is that you guys are doing for the kingdom, and uh, in many ways, we come over here, peep what you guys are doing, and we take it back to where we are, and uh, we don't tell anybody where we got it from. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> It's what a joy to be here on today. Uh, my wife, Kathy, she and I have been married for 28 years. And uh, I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of that. 28 years. And uh, when, we got, when we got to the point of 25 years, I just started telling everybody. Yeah, this is my wife, Kathy. We've been married for 25 years. That's, that's a constant introduction. Uh, I say that because it's a miracle that she's been able to put up with me for this long. Yeah, it's a miracle. Thank you, baby. Thank you for being here. And so let's, let's go to God in prayer on today. Go to God in prayer. Father, we love you and we thank you for our very lives. We thank you for the privilege of being in your presence on today. It is good to be with the people of God. I do ask that you would do what I cannot do on today. Lord, your people are at different places. They are at different bus stops in their lives. And I pray that you would deposit this word in their souls and that you would use it as you see fit. I pray that we would walk out of here ready to apply what it is that you have spoken into our souls so that we can be uh, images of you in greater ways, even as... Uh, was said by the praise team we love you teach us to love you better in the name of jesus we pray amen Uh, most of us are umpires at heart Uh, we like to call balls and strikes on somebody else friend let me ask you a couple of questions how do you respond when someone hurts you How do you respond to people who don't think like you think, or do what you do? To people who do not vote like you vote? How do you respond to uh, that person who has a moral failure, who does something that you would never do? Chuck Swindoll was speaking at a camp in California. And there was a man, an elderly gentleman, who came up to him and said to him, Dr. Swindoll, I have been waiting for this for so long. I'm going to eat up every word that you say on this week. Right after that, Chuck Swindoll gets up to speak. He's on the front row, and he is nodding off on the great Chuck Swindoll. He said, okay, this is the first night, it's Sunday. He had a long drive, he's probably tired. Monday night, Tuesday night, he's catching Z's again, front row. Then on Wednesday night, he does the same thing. Now, Wednesday, Chuck Swindoll now is upset, he's frustrated, uh, everybody is being blessed. Uh, he's well prepared. God is using him, but he has this fella on the front row going to sleep every night. He goes back uh, to uh, his cabin on Wednesday. He says, God, please help this man to stay awake. He's distracting me. Next night, he goes to sleep again. Friday night, his wife comes up to him before the service began, and he said, she said rather to him, uh, Dr. Swindoll, Thank you so much for this week of ministry. Oh, and I want to apologize for my husband sleeping on you. He's been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And he only has a few weeks to live. A while back, we were talking about what it is that he wanted to do before he died. And knowing that you would be nearby, he said, I wanted... I want to hear Chuck Swindoll speak in person. And so we came here. He takes pain medicine. The medicine helps him to manage his pain, but it also causes him to go to sleep. Listen to what she said. She said, thank you for making this the best week of the last part of my husband's life. Swindoll said he could have crawled under a rock and stayed there for days because he made a judgment about this man and he got angry at him without doing any investigation. Today I want to speak from the subject freedom from fault finding. Uh, To be a fault finder is to assume the worst about another person without checking the facts. Uh, It it is to pronounce a verdict on somebody without knowing their story, without understanding their heart, uh, without appreciating their weaknesses. If you would open your Bibles or your Bible apps to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, we'll be looking there at verses 1 through 6. This is a familiar passage. You've heard it before, but I want you to hear it as if for the first time today. The Word of God says this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. And do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, you may trample them under your feet. They may trample them rather under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Judging others is a big deal in the Bible. It is the opposite of mercy. It is the enemy of forgiveness. It cuts off. The free flow of love from one heart to another. And if you and I are going to create kingdom community, whether in our homes or in our churches, uh, create a kingdom ecosystem on our jobs, if you and I are going to do this, we have to be free from a critical spirit. Uh, You are talking about in this series, free for all, and one of the great freedoms of life is to give people the grace to be human. Uh, Jesus tells us to discard fault-finding for a few reasons. First of all, he tells us that fault-finders attract fault-finders. He gives us the same lesson three times in two verses, three clauses. They mean the exact same thing. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged just in case you missed it. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. I think that's the same thing. He gives it to us another way. And the measure you use, it will be measured to you. A measure is just a means of weighing something, a standard by which you and I assess something. And what he's saying is that the standard that we use to evaluate and critique others Others will use that same standard to critique us. Uh, Three clauses, the same thing. If we judge others, they will judge us back. Judging others has a boomerang effect. Now, who will judge us back? Well, first of all, people. We attract people who are people critics when we are people critics. People will judge us back. It's hard to live with all that negativity. When we have a family of critics, the whole team on the job of critics, people judge us back. But also, he's saying that God will judge us back. Not, not primarily in this life. He's looking into eternity. And what he's suggesting is that those of us who do not discard this spirit Of criticalness of criticism rather if you and I constantly have this judgmental mentality then it may be an indication that we are not kingdom citizens that we have not been transformed by mercy that we have not been gripped by the kindness of God because it's not being replicated and reproduced in our handling of other people yeah judging others it has a boomerang Effect. One day there was a a young girl um, who asked her mother, mom why do you have so much gray hair? And uh, mom thought about it and looked at her and sternly said, every gray hair is representative of every time you disobeyed what I asked you to do. And she said, I got so many gray hairs because you are disobedient all the time. And the little girl had a puzzled look. And then she said, Mom, is that the reason why grandma has so many gray hairs? Because of you? <laughs> Judging others has a boomerang effect. When you and I judge others, they judge us. They judge us back. Now, does this mean that you and I should never make valued judgments about people. Of course not. It doesn't mean that. Uh, it, Jesus is just saying, don't be overly critical. Don't be overly negative. Don't make hasty assessments about people without checking the facts. But, but there are times in which you and I, through some evaluation, can discern that we are dealing with an unscrupulous person. We're dealing with people who are not responsive to the things of God, and who we may want to consider, how we measure uh, our investment in their lives. And Jesus tells us as much in verse 6. Look at what he says. Verse 6 of the text, it says, Do not give dogs what is sacred, and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they will trample them under your feet and turn and tear you Pieces. Now dogs and pigs here, metaphors, they're metaphors. Metaphors for immoral people. Immoral people who are unrepentantly such. And, and so this term dog, just to comfort you, it doesn't refer to the, the little cute dog that you have at the house right now. You know, the one that you put clothes on, you know, <laughs> no, the, the term for dog, it means, an undomesticated dog. In fact, it means a wild dog, a ravenous dog. And what he's saying is that you and I have got to carefully assess uh, how we distribute our time uh, with respect to the people around us because there are some people for, for, uh, with respect to whom we get diminishing returns if we spend more time with them. They're like ravenous dogs and they can turn and bite us. Anybody known any dogs in your life? <laughs> yeah, yeah, a few, yeah. And, and so, fault-finding attracts fault-finding. But, but there, there's a time for us to assess and, and examine who we have in our life. Uh, becoming one who does not uh, Fault find with respect to others. It doesn't mean that we have to be fault deniers. doesn't mean that. Here's the next thing Jesus says. He says, fault finders, they ignore their own sin. And and this is why they can persist in unrepentant fault finding. They don't go to school on their own sin. And and so they're comfortable. It's amazing. They are comfortable. Uh, assuming a level of moral authority over us that their own life choices do not support. Uh, they, they ignore their own sin. Jesus gives us a humorous caricature of people who ignore the magnitude of their sin. Verses 3 through 5, he says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust, the little splinter, in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that little speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a huge oak tree protruding from your skull? (laughs) He says, you hypocrite. And so this, this person, he is fully aware, paying careful attention, carefully examining, doing research on the speck in his brother's eye. All the while, he has a log coming out of his eye that is on rich display. Please look up here. I want to say something. I have discovered in my life that the most damaged people are the most skillful fault finders. They they can call you on every issue in your life because they don't study their own sin. Yeah, they don't study their own sin. And so they, they, can, they have time because they're too busy studying our sins. They have time to examine what you need to do and what I need to do. I got people like this in my church, but I know y'all don't have anybody like this in y'all's church. Yeah, they, yeah I got, got three people like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the way it works. You know, somebody committing adultery. Is just, I mean, they're just most offended by a person who doesn't show them hospitality. Yeah. Uh, the person cheating on his or her taxes just can't believe that a coworker told him a lie. I just can't believe it. Because they turn in false tax returns. Uh, the people who are most damaged, the people who are most mired in sin, often they're the most skillful, they're the most skillful fault finders. Yeah, And so, false finders, they, they ignore their own sin. I love what John Stott says in his commentary uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, uh, We have a fatal tendency to exaggerate the faults of others and minimize the gravity of our own. Uh, we have a rosy view of ourselves and a jaundiced view of other people. And here's why. Oftentimes, we judge other people strictly by their actions, but we evaluate ourselves by our intentions. Jesus says something else here. He says, fault finders are unhelpful brothers and sisters. All of us in this room, we're spiritual siblings. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. But if we are too busy examining the other person's sin, without learning about our own sin, discerning how we can uh, lean into God so we can overcome our own sin, then it makes us ill-equipped to help our brother, to help our sister. Think about what Jesus says. He says, this person, uh, this fault finder's brother, see, just has a, a speck of sawdust, a speck of sawdust. But now, even though it's just a speck of sawdust, it's irritating. It's it's irritating, it's uncomfortable. If it stays there, it can cause an infection. And so even though it's only a speck of sawdust, it has to come out. But the fault finder is incapable of doing for his brother what is needed. He can't do it because the log is blocking his vision of the pebble that he only sees enough to accuse somebody of. Uh, he, his log coming out of his skull is so big that he can't even um, maneuver enough to get the little splinter out of his brother's eye because he refuses to say no to his own sin.. See? Uh, he is ill-equipped to do one of the most important things in the spiritual life. He is incompetent and ill-equipped to love his brother. Ill-equipped to love his sister. He is incompetent in love. Yeah. He's incompetent in love. And so Jesus said, here's a good idea. That tree coming out of your eye, deal with that then you'll be able to see clearly you'll have the wisdom because you have addressed your own sin to help somebody else and so he says listen fault finding is not the way but now what's the alternative if we're not going to fault find then we got time to do something else what do we do with that extra time here it is we become grace givers yeah And so the answer to fault finding is not retreating from people. It's not just minding our own business. It's not refusing to invest in somebody else. No, God wants us to help others take the the speck out of their eyes. He wants us to help others who have logs in their eyes. But he wants us to do it as loving friends. He, he wants us to do it like we are members of the same family and not foes. And so I, I replace fault-finding with grace-giving. I have to do something in order to overcome fault-finding, and I have to, And that is I have to be a distributor of mercy. And so I want to close by giving you a few, a few things that we can do to function as grace-givers. Here's the first one. Assume the best and not the worst about other people. Always remember this the average person is more immature and uninformed than evil. Most people are not evil, they just don't know any better. (laughs) Like literally, they don't know any better. They, They are doing the best they can with the level of wisdom and understanding that they have right now. And so assume the best and not the worst. And when we do that, we give people space to grow. Uh, We're not offended by people's incompleteness. Assume the best and not the worst. Compliment, don't criticize. Very few people grow through negative feedback alone. Find somebody doing something right and make a hero out of him or her. Put a crown on his or her head and watch him grow into it. Compliment, don't don't criticize. Also, suspend judgment when someone fails. Suspend judgment. Maybe someone has failed recently in your life and it hurt your heart, it broke you. Suspend judgment when people fail. Here's the reality. You and I are far more accepting of people who sin like us. And we, far, we are far less accepting of people who sin differently. Now, if you have my sin, oh, brother, I can really understand what you're going through. Oh, my God. It, it, that hurts, doesn't it? That's so tough. But if you sin differently, man, I don't know. You just need to pray more. You just need to confess Read the scriptures and confess them out loud. Claim it. Grab it. Right? Because you sin differently. We, we struggle with compassion for those who sin differently. And so suspend judgment when people, uh, when people fail. When somebody fails that you know, ask yourself this. How long did they stand How long did they say no to that same sin before succumbing to it? The Bible says if there's one of you who who is taken in a fault, restore that person gently lest you too be tempted. Suspend judgment when, when people fail. Here's the last one on grace giving. Cover sin, don't broadcast it. That's what love does. It minimizes the impact of people's sins. It covers sins. No, it doesn't call a press conference. It doesn't go to Instagram when we discover that somebody has failed. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 8, it says love covers over a multitude of sins. And this goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Noah, the Bible says, one day he drank too much from his vineyard. Y'all remember Noah, ark, right? Preaching, nobody coming to church. So Noah, that Noah. So Noah, and I mean, it's a lot of pressure, right, with that ark. If he got off that ark, he was troubled. He said, I need a drink, right? All right. That's the urban version of that. Uh, So he he drinks so much gin and juice that he gets drunk. And, And the Bible says that he, he, he went to sleep naked, and he's just there. He, he's, he's sloppy drunk, right? And one of his sons comes to his tent, looks in, and sees him naked. But instead of covering his father, the Bible says he decided to broadcast his sins. And so he goes to his other brothers, Shem and Japheth and says, listen, you gotta come see Daddy right now. (laughs) He has lost it. He has too much gin and juice, Shem. Too much gin and juice. And so they didn't want to see their father like that. And so instead of become being a fault finder like him, the Bible says that they took a garment and they placed it each across their backs and they backed their way into the tent. And they dropped the garment over his body because they wanted to cover his sin. They determined that they were not going to be fault finders. They determined that they were going to minimize the impact of their father's sins. That they were going to limit his exposure. And that's what you and I are called to do as siblings in Christ. You and I are called to cover each other. And not to broadcast what we have done, but to cover each other. To limit the range of knowledge with respect to what it is that we've done. Minimize the trauma of, our, of each other's failure. Aren't you glad that Jesus is a grace giver? <laughs> Uh, Jesus is a grace giver. And that's a great story. Uh, John chapter 8, the Bible says that there was this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And the religious leaders, they bring her to Jesus. She's standing in front of Jesus and the group. And they say to Jesus, you know, the law requires that we stone a woman who does this. Now what's interesting, ladies, is that the man was not there. Now, that's a, whole, that's a whole different story. Like, where is the dude, right? They, they, it, was, it was two. <laughs> it was two people, right? And so the dude is not there. And Jesus says, okay, you're right. That's what the law says. So I- any one of you who have not sinned, go ahead and throw the rocks. And the Bible says that one by one they left. Now the older ones left first because they had a longer, a longer track record of sin. And then the younger ones eventually left. And eventually nobody was there but her and Jesus. And Jesus said to her, has no one, has no one condemned you? And she said, no, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. Jesus covered her sin. Jesus extended grace to her. He handled her like a member of the family. He forgave her. He realized that her sin was sexual immorality, but that was not her identity. This was not her whole story. This was just the chapter that Jesus walked in on. So he treated her not as a fault finder, but as a grace giver. I'm so glad that Jesus is a grace giver. Do I have any witnesses in the house? We, we thank God. I thank God for his grace. Friend, Jesus did not come to broadcast our sins, he did not come to criticize us because of our flaws, uh, he, he didn't come to point a finger of rejection at us. No, he came to cover our sins. Jesus came uh, to rescue us from sin. Uh, Jesus came to deliver us from sin and to forgive us of sin. He came and died on wood to deal with the splinter in our eye as well as the log protruding out of our head. Yeah, that, that's your Savior, and I don't know who you are today, but I want you to realize that if you don't know him, he is not pointing a finger at you, no. His hands are open. His hands are extended to embrace you where you are, and you don't have to change your personality to come to him. What he wants is a change of your priorities. Those of you who do know him, because he is a grace giver. He has the wisdom to teach us how to be artful at extending grace as well. As a grace giver, he can give us the power to distribute grace to other people. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world through him might be saved. God is not calling us to live as umpires. who call balls and strikes on other people. He's calling us to be pinch hitters. He's calling us to be cleanup hitters who help people come around the bases until they make it home. Can I pray? Father, we love you. And we thank you for this moment. Whatever it is that you want to do in the lives of your people, please do it. Whatever response, Lord, that you were declaring, you were speaking to my sister, my brother, that you would give them the courage from the deepest place of their souls to say yes to you. If there's someone here who does not know you and have have always seen you as a critic, Always seen you as a policeman. Always seeing you as somebody who wanted to expose what was wrong about them. I pray that they would see you correctly now. As someone who died. Died. So that you can embrace them. So that you can give them a love that they have never known, an acceptance, an acceptance that they have never experienced. Give that. Pray that they would receive that. Then having received it and making you leader, that they would distribute that. Be a transformative agent in their families and in the other domains of life. They traffic. We pray this in Jesus' name.
1: Spirit of prayer for a moment with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Nothing in this world is more powerful than grace. Grace that is truly amazing. If you're here today and you've never stepped into a relationship with the God of amazing grace, we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. It's too important to to leave it to chance or, or hope that something happens later on, but if God's moving in your life right now, and you're aware of your need for grace and the offer of God's grace through Christ, then we invite you just to, just to take it. The Bible te- teaches us that it's a gift from God. We can't earn it, it's a gift. And so if you've never personally and definitively reached out and received that gift from God, then we invite you just to pray right where you're sitting, a prayer of beginning, a prayer of commitment, prayer of surrender to the only one who will never take advantage of your surrender but will use it for his glory and for your good if that's you in this place then we invite you just to pray in your own words silently talk to God just right where you are from your heart to God say Jesus I need you I confess my sin holding nothing back in order to claim your forgiveness, your grace. Jesus, I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again from the dead with the promise of new life I accept. I receive it now, and I will follow you from this moment forward. Lord, I give you my life. And I pray this prayer in your name, in faith. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for just another brief moment. Because for those of you who just took that step of faith, you crossed that line from death to life. This is the biggest moment of your life. It's the moment for which we exist as a church family. And so we want to help and If you will, just a couple of things before we leave in a moment, if you would, for those of you that just prayed that prayer and you meant it, would you begin by filling out the connect card that's in your program, the program that you got when you came in today. Just fill that out. You'll notice about halfway down, there's a place to indicate, I committed my life to Christ this week. That's for you. You can tear it off at the perforation along the fold and On your way out, just hand it to one of our hosts or our ushers who have on the the blue LHC shirts. That allows us to begin as a family, to come together and and come alongside you at whatever pace works for you. We want to help. We want to be that family of faith with you. And then... Second of all, as our heads are bowed for just another brief moment, if that was your prayer, I want to ask you if you would just quietly but but unmistakably just raise your hand up high over your head for just a moment. And as you hold your hand up, you're physically indicating that God did something spiritually in your life and you responded to it. And it's too important to leave it in this seat. Your hand in the air stamps this moment in your life so that you know this is real. This is forever. And your hand in the air stamps this moment in the life of this church. And So as a family, our family tradition is you can go ahead and put your hand down, but we're going to put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.